This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Down through recorded history, we humans have a great number of church-approved apparitions. Apparitions of saints and holy people, not to mention the great number of visits by the Mother of God, as, as well as those of Jesus himself. But too often in our topsy-turvy world, we often think of them as nice stories, but we are so preoccupied with the pace of today's life that we seldom give them the attention that they deserve. We ignore the fact that these heavenly happenings, while they occurred to someone else, they were also messages for us, and these heavenly visits were for a reason, a reason to get our attention and a direction that we are asked to follow. They've happened down through history for a reason to a wide variety of people. They included the apostles, people like Augustine, Polycarp, Dominic in the 12th century, when Our Lady gave him the rosary as protection against the heresies of the day. Gertrude the Great in the 14th century, when she received private revelations from Jesus himself regarding devotion to the Sacred Heart and the communion of saints, as well as Catherine of Siena's revelation from Jesus, in in which he entrusted her with the task of bringing the Holy Father back to Rome and warning her of the dangers the church was facing. And the 19th century brought us Lourdes and Jesus' visit to St. John Vianney. There was Fatima, and in the 20th century, when Jesus dictated his divine mercy message to St. Faustina. And don't forget, those approved apparitions in Cabejo in the 1980s, when the Mother of God appeared to six girls and one boy, warning them of the terrible genocide that would take the lives of hundreds of thousands in Rwanda unless people changed. But the world paid little attention and the warnings became history. And I've only mentioned just a few of these apparitions that were approved only after very careful examination. But today, I'd like to tell you about one of the truly great events that took place way back in the 1600s. But the events of that time were meant for everyone, and that certainly includes you and me. And in those events, well, there are pure, clear-cut directions for each one of us to, to have a closer relationship with Almighty God and In today's world, I seriously doubt if there is anything more important. Margaret Mary Alacock was born in a small town in Burgundy, the fifth of seven children, way back in 1647, to a prosperous family. Her father owned both a country house as well as a prosperous farmland, and the family enjoyed a a strong aristocratic background. At a very early age, Margaret spent a great deal of time with her godmother, the Countess of Courcheval, who was also a neighbor but died when Margaret was still very young. And then, at the age of eight, Margaret also suffered the loss of her father. While he was a good father and provider for the family's care, he made no preparations for them in the event of his death, which occurred while Margaret was still so young that, well, 
She had lost two people at the same time who were very close to her. At the age of about eight, Margaret was sent to live with an order of nuns not too far away, and she found great peace and happiness in their everyday lives. For someone so young, the sisters were impressed with her behavior, and she was allowed to make her first Holy Communion at the young age then of just nine years old. In spite of her youth, it appears that she not only understood completely the Eucharist, but that it had a profound effect on her. She would one day write of that effect. She would write, This communion made all the small pleasures and amusements so repellent to me that I could no longer take pleasure when I wanted to begin some game. With my companions, I would always feel something drawing me, something calling me to some quiet corner, giving me no peace until I began to pray. End of quotes. Certainly, even at such an early age, it was a pretty definite sign that there may have been a vocation. At about the age of 11, she was stricken with a serious malady, not just a temporary setback, but a prolonged illness that was to last for four long years. She apparently just about withered away because she complained that her bones were were trying to come through her skin. Well, today we assume that she was stricken with a severe case of rheumatic fever that confined her to her bed for these four years. Through her suffering, perhaps her greater suffering, was being separated from the nuns in the convent whom she viewed as saints. She missed them desperately, and perhaps that was partially why, after being bedridden for so long, she made a vow to the Blessed Mother that if she was cured of her illness, one day she too would enter the convent and become a nun. Well, as she made that vow, the Blessed Mother must have smiled on her because she was instantly cured, and she looked upon the Madonna as the mistress of her heart. She would tell of sitting down to pray the rosary when the Blessed Mother stood before her and reprimanded her, saying, My daughter, I'm surprised that you serve me so negligently. Now, the question is, why would she say that? Well, it seems that it seems that Margaret usually prayed the rosary kneeling on bare knees or kissing the ground each time she said Hail Mary. Rather than seeing it as a reprimand, perhaps it would be better to look at this as preparing her for a very special mission for her son. It's been written that God demands a great deal from those to whom he has given a great deal, or on whom he has bestowed special graces or favors, and woe to those who take him lightly. Well, as she was cured, it wasn't just that she forgot her promise, but after four years of such severe illness, she, well, just about as any young girl would do, enjoyed her ability to be up and around and, and have a certain amount of fun and amusement. 
she would later admit that now being able to get around normally, her vow, though not forgotten, became more lax, and she thought only of today's fun, almost forgetting the promise that she had made. Almost, but not quite. However, the Blessed Mother appeared to her and gave her this reprimand that she would always remember. She was told, and I quote, I am surprised, my daughter, that you serve me so negligently. Well, those words struck home, and Margaret would never forget them. She would also experience visions of Christ, but strange as it may seem to us in our days, she considered this to be something everyone experienced. Padre Pio, for example, in our time, experienced visions at a very early age and later admitted that he said nothing about them because he thought everyone had them. Well, her home life was not pleasant because after the death of her father, other relatives had assumed control of the home and property, and Margaret, as well as her mother, suffered greatly even to the point of being hungry, and visitors from the village would come and provide her with milk and other necessary needs. She would wander from the house whenever possible, and then, on her knees, would pour out her heart to Jesus, asking the intercession of his mother. Perhaps this could be described as, as a period of preparation, the sufferings and humiliations she would have to endure at the hands of overbearing relatives who deprived Margaret and her mother of their basic rights, creating in her a closer union with the crucified Christ. It was during these times that Margaret became aware of mental prayer, and she would one day write about this difficult period of her life. She would write, I almost never laid down or slept and took almost no food, but my divine master would console me and sustain me with perfect conformity to his most holy will, and I attributed to him alone everything that happened to me. She would say, and I quote again, O oh, my sovereign master, it would not happen unless you wanted it to but I thank you for allowing it so as to make me conform to you. End of quotes. And as you can see, through all of her trials and tribulations, she endured them as a kind of blessing from God as she grew in holiness and acceptance in her desire to be united with him. Well, time does not allow me to enumerate the many sacrifices and tribulations she would endure without a word of complaint or the special blessings that she would receive. Her family, knowing of her desire to become a religious, strenuously fought against any such action on her part, insisting now that, that she wear fine clothes and step out with eligible young men in the better social activities of the area. This was to be a never-ending battle with her family. They wanted her to marry, but she had made a vow. 
So perhaps a total of nine years were to pass before Margaret Mary would finally ask to be admitted to the visitation monastery of Paray-le-Monial. At first, she didn't feel that this was the monastery for her, but once, while she was glancing at a picture of St. Francis de Sales, the founder of the Visitation Convent, she felt that he was looking directly at her with a look that seemed to say, Is it not there that I would not have thee? Well, after some thought, she felt that he too was calling her to be his daughter and that she must belong to the order that this great and holy man had founded. Again, she met with family resistance, but on the 12th of June in 1671, she heard interiorly the words, It is here that I would have thee. She found great happiness in the convent, and while as a novice she would receive continuing insults, reprimands, and criticisms, she maintained a cheerful, happy, and positive attitude to everyone, regardless of how she may have been humiliated. And on the 6th of November in 1672, she was professed and given the name of Margaret Well, Margaret Marie was changed to Margaret Mary, but her desire to be an anonymous bride of Christ was to be changed forever on the 27th of December in 1673. She had gone to the chapel to pray, as was her custom, and as she was kneeling by the chapel grill, she felt as though she was overcome or perhaps surrounded by this overwhelming sensation of a divine presence, a divine presence that was speaking to her. She was asked to take the place of St. John next to Jesus as he had been at the Last Supper. The Lord told her that the love of his heart must be spread and manifest itself to all men, and he would reveal the graces that he would offer to all men, and this revelation and the means for achieving this grace would be offered through her. Well, as you can imagine, she was startled, amazed, and above all, humbled. Dutifully, she immediately went to her superior and told her what had happened, and as you can readily understand, the superior rebuffed her with a severe and and biting reprimand. The now sister Margaret Mary, knowing what she had seen and heard, became distraught and eventually suffered a collapse. The superior worried that perhaps she had been too severe and prayed that her quick recovery would be a sign from God that sister Margaret Mary was telling the truth. Well, She immediately received the sign she sought by her prayers. Margaret Mary, Sister Margaret Mary, was instantly cured. But to be sure, there were several theologians visiting in the area, and the Mother Superior sought their counsel. They listened and did not believe. However, a visiting Jesuit, a Father Claude de la Colombière, talked to Sister Margaret Mary and was completely convinced that what she had said was absolutely true in every respect. 
So strong was his belief in Sister Margaret Mary's description of her heavenly visitors, as well as the assignment she was given about Sacred Heart devotions, that her mother superior then also believed. And it was because of these two that Sister Margaret Mary's assignment from Jesus about his desire for these special devotions to his Sacred Heart would become one day a reality. This was particularly important because, as you can imagine, most people at that time did not believe, and many thought her quite mad. And as for Father Claude de la Colombière, because of his knowledge and ability, well, he was later sent to London, where he was to be the confessor to the Duchess of York, who would one day become the Queen of England. He was later canonized a saint by John Paul II in 1992. So, you see, he was no slouch and played an important role in the life and destiny of Sister Margaret Mary. It shows how God works in his own way for us. We have to put ourselves in the superior's place and, and ask how we would react to someone we knew regardless of uh, how holy they appeared, told us about special visits and instructions that they were receiving from Jesus and his mother. What would you think? I can certainly imagine and tell you what I probably would think and say. And I could go into greater detail about the trials, tribulations, and humiliations heaped upon Sister Margaret Mary, of which there were many, but suffice it to say simply that she endured each and every one with humility and a deeper understanding of the passion of Christ as she would prostrate herself before the grill of this little chapel in the visitation convent at paray le Moniel and be the recipient of not only many messages but many graces that were needed in the special assignment that she was to receive. Jesus had told her that the grace she had received, and all of these graces were not imaginary and were the foundation of all the grace she was to receive, and that his sacred heart was shown to her with flames more dazzling than the sun, surrounded by a crown of thorns, indicating the sorrow that sin was causing him, and it had a cross over it, signifying the sufferings that sin caused it, and God expressed his desire to be honored in all places under the figure of his heart of flesh, so that man might be closer to him in these last ages. Well, I paraphrase, paraphrase that a bit, but the meaning is there. Jesus told Sister Margaret Mary what he wished her to do. She was to receive the Eucharist on the first Friday of the month, prostrate herself for an hour face to the earth, to share the mortal sadness which she had accepted for his own in the Garden of Olives. But perhaps his most important command was when he said to her, Behold the heart which has lo lo so loved men that it has spared nothing, and for gratitude I receive from the greater part ingratitude. By their acts of irreverence and sacrilege, and by the coldness and contempt they have for me in this sacrament of love. Jesus appeared to 
Sister Margaret Mary on several occasions over a period of 18 months in which he gave her instructions for a devotion that he wished to be established in honor of his sacred heart that would become known as the Nine Fridays and the Holy Hour. And he asked that a feast of reparation be instituted for the Friday after the octave of Corpus Christi. For those who care enough to follow his instructions to, to what we might consider ingratitude, for what he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross, he gave Sister Margaret Mary what is known as the Twelve Promises of the Sacred Heart. Number one was, I will give them all the graces necessary in their state in life. I will establish peace in their homes. I will comfort them in all their inflictions. I will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. I will bestow abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. Sinners shall find in my heart the source and the infinite ocean of mercy. Tepid souls shall become fervent. Fervent souls shall quickly move to high perfection. I will bless every place where an image of my heart shall be exposed and honored. And I will give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts. Those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, never to be effaced. And I promise thee in the excessive mercy of my heart that my all-powerful love will grant to all those who communicate on the first Friday in nine consecutive months the grace of final penitence. They shall not die in my disgrace nor without receiving their sacraments. My divine heart shall be their refuge in this last moment." Well, pretty impressive for us to consider. And Sister Margaret Mary died at the age of 43 on the 17th of October in 1690, and her incorrupt body rests near the grill of the little chapel where Jesus gave her the messages for us. She was beatified in 1864 and canonized a saint on the 13th of October in 1920, by Pope Benedict the Ninth, Saint Margaret Mary left us with a quote, and it reads, And Christ showed me that it was his great desire of being loved by men and of withdrawing them from the path of ruin that made him form the design of manifesting his heart to men with all the treasures of love, of mercy, of grace, of sanctification, and salvation which it contains, in order that those who desire to render him and procure him all the honor and love possible might themselves be abundantly enriched with those divine treasures of which his heart is the source. Well, he gave us a pretty clear message through St. Margaret Mary. Will we follow his requests or are we just too busy? Only we can answer that question. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. <laughs>